Thank you, Paul. A word of grace, grace and peace to each and every one of you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who loves us, who guides us, and who stands by us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the privilege of serving you. Thank you for working in Paul's behalf, for giving him the strength to stand when he needed to take a stand and to, to follow your leading. Lord, as we open your word and talk about something very dear to our hearts, may we do so with an openness to see new things that will enhance our worship and our praise of you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to use your imagination. I want you to imagine that you are a parent of a little girl two to five years old at the most. Now, some of us, that happened many years ago, but we can still remember what it was like. Some of you are in that stage. Some of you are thinking that may never happen for you, and, and it may not. But all of us know someone, a, a nephew, a niece, a, 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 you know, someone that, that just really we're close to, whether we have our own kids or not. Some of you are teenagers, and, you, you know, unless Jesus comes you'll have your moment. But there's enough we know about the love of a child and a parent that I think everyone here can relate to it. So I want you to imagine you are a parent. Mother, father, doesn't matter. For the sake of the illustration, I'm going to use the word father, but you can make it mother in your own mind. I want you to imagine that you are at work, and it's been a rough day. You're, you work in a business office, and you have a project that's due at 3 o'clock that afternoon. And one member of your team didn't get their part done. And they called you the night before and said they weren't going to get their job done. And you had to step in and try and figure out the rest of your project, plus do theirs uh, into the wee hours of the morning. You go to work the next day and you're working fast and furious to get this project ready to present to your boss. As the day goes on, you are getting more and more tired and exhausted and weary. You go to make the presentation and when you're making the presentation that one section which isn't quite as good as the others comes up and the boss mentions it and the guy whose neck you tried to save undercuts you and blames you. You decide to take the high road. The boss isn't pleased but you've managed to work out some things and <clears throat> and you're gonna, it's going to be okay, but boy, it's been a rough day. You drive home. All you want to do is go home and sit on the couch and just veg. You are done in. You are bone-weary and soul-starved. Got the picture? You drive into your garage, you, you open the garage door, you close it, you pick up your briefcase, you walk in the door, and as you walk in the back door, you hear the pitter-patter of little feet down the hallway and a shriek, Daddy's home! Daddy's home! Daddy's home! Daddy, I love you! And the arms are outstretched and they're open to you and you pick, their, pick your little girl up and all of a sudden, the bone weariness is gone. All of a sudden, the emotional starvation 
has been filled because your little girl threw up her arms and told you you meant the world to her. Keep that illustration in mind. Keep that illustration in mind. We are in a series, actually it's going to be about eight sub-series and one big series. We're calling the series His Story, capital H, capital I, capital S, story, slash our story. It's based on our stained glass windows, for those who may not have been here, the first one on creation, then the fall, then the Ten Commandments, then the birth of Christ, Christ's life as the light of the world and the Word, the cross and the resurrection, the church, and the three angels and the second coming. And we've done two so far on creation. The first one was about the amazing God of creation, the God who created us, who created us out of his power, out of his creativity, out of his wisdom, out of his holiness, out of his beauty, out of his love. He, he was a God of all those things, and he created this world. Last week we looked at Psalm chapter 8 when, that talks about what is man that you are mindful of him, and we're reminded that we were created in his re- image to resemble his character. This God who spoke, according to God's word, the worlds into existence, who spoke the stars into existence, who, who spoke and, and, and the firmament was made, who spoke and the animals appeared, that God knelt down and formed Adam out of the dust of the earth breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. He became a living being. And then the divine creator physician took a rib out of his side and fashioned Eve so that he would have a helpmeet, so that more adequately the two of them could reflect his image. We are an awesome creation. And if you don't believe that, just take a few moments to study the human body. The DNA in your cells is so complex, scientists can't figure it all out. There is such a, an incredible, incredible order to this little finger of mine, the little one, or any of them, okay? How they work. We have an amazing God of creation, and we are the amazing creation of God. Do you believe that this morning? And now we're going to look at another aspect of creation today. We are going to look at the seventh day of creation. Katie read it to us this morning, but I want to read it one more time. Actually, twice, but... Thus the heavens and earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, And he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. I want to just take another look at that passage, and I've underlined a few phrases. It says the heavens and earth were finished, but then notice in these three verses, four times it mentions his finished work. I forgot to underline one. The heavens and earth were finished. On the seventh day, God finished his work. He rested from all his work 
and he made it holy because on it God rested from his work. Do you get the idea God's creation was done? Do you get the idea that God had nothing more planned in terms of what he was going to create? And so it says he creates one more thing, only it's not a thing. He creates something else, or it's not something else. He creates a day, a 24-hour period, in which he creates nothing, but he creates something awesome. He creates a space in time, and he plants it at the end of creation. And from that time on, every single society this world has ever known has had a seven-day week. And the only reason given in all of history goes back to the Bible and the creation in seven days. Not only that, he placed seven days within our human mechanism. I don't know how, I don't know where, but I know he did. How do I know that? Because there have been times in the history of this earth when they've tried to make a ten-day work week. It didn't catch on because we're made in this for a cycle of seven days. Because God placed that seven-day cycle within us. A seven-day cycle that is six days for work and a seventh day of rest. I want you to notice what God did on that seventh day. It says he rested on the seventh day. Anybody here believe God was so tired he had to take a nap? Any, anybody here believe that, that God was so worn out he just had to sit down for a while? I don't think so. He rested because there was nothing else to do. And he didn't just rest so that he could have some idleness because he probably was at work sustaining the world. He was resting from his work of creation, but more than that, he was resting from creation so that he could enjoy his creation. He was resting from his creation so he could especially enjoy the last part of his creation, spending time with Adam and Eve, spending time with the two human beings he created so that he could love them and be with them and enjoy their fellowship and enjoy their company. And he set aside this seventh day before sin ever entered the world, before we ever toiled, and when Adam and Eve didn't have to work super hard to make a living, he set it aside because he said, listen, I know you, and I know life, and I know more than anything else I want you to know that you mean everything to me, and yes, we'll talk other days, but this day, I'm going to rest and spend with you. God rested not because he was tired, but because he wanted to enjoy the very beings he created. I want you to notice the next thing it says. It says he blessed the seventh day. Sometimes I think that word blessing we, we really misunderstand. And I think, and, and please don't misunderstand me about this, but I think a couple of songs we've known through the years has almost added to that misunderstanding, although there's, a, there's truth in it. We, we sing, there shall be showers of blessing, and we talk about the blessings God gives us, and it's all about what we get. 
we sing, count your blessings, name them one by one, and, and it's not wrong to do that. It's good to do that. It's better to count our blessings than to count the things that were bad that took place. But sometimes I think this idea of blessing comes to us as something that God needs to give us for us to really feel like God has really done us right. You know, you know what I mean? I, I think we need to understand the, the meaning of the word blessing in, in the original. In the Old Testament, it means to, to endue with power for prosperity or success. God gave the Sabbath so that we might have power for success. But there's another meaning to the word. It can also mean to, to bow down and kiss. Why would God bow down and kiss the Sabbath? It, it means that it actually, perhaps a better word is, it's something that you place value and honor upon. What, what God was saying was, he was putting value and honor upon the seventh day, not just because he wanted to have one day that's honored above all others, but he wanted to put honor on that day so that we would recognize the honor he places on us when we meet with him on that day. Did, did, did you catch that? In giving us the Sabbath, he says, you are so valuable to me. I am giving you this day to spend with me. The third thing he did was it says he sanctified it or made it holy. And we often talk about what that means is he sanctified it and it was a holy day. The rest of the days aren't. He set it apart from those days, and that is absolutely true. But I want you to notice something. I want you to notice something. The word for saints and the word for sanctified come from the same word. It literally means to set apart. When God sanctified the Sabbath day, he set it apart because he was sanctifying us at the same time. He was setting us apart for fellowship with him. Please do not misunderstand this next statement. I'm going to use that phrase several times probably. I don't want you to misconstrue what I'm saying. We have looked at the Sabbath as a symbol of loyalty and obedience, and it is that. But primarily, foremost, first, the Sabbath is a symbol of the relationship God wants to have with you and me. The Sabbath is a symbol of the relationship God wants to have with you and me. A book that I started reading by Des Cummings, Jr., entitled Original Love, makes this comment about the Sabbath day. Everything God was doing during the first six days of creation was made meaningful on the seventh day. In six days, God created life, and on the seventh, he created love. Life without love is existence, but life filled with love is Sabbath. Do you like that? I, I really like that. In six days he created life, but on the seventh he created love. He created love by example because he showed us that love is spending time with people. Love is spending time with people. That's why, once again, I want to state to you that the Sabbath is first and foremost a reminder of the relationship that God desires to have with man, with men and women. Why? Because the rest of the Sabbath 
reminds us of his completed work of creation. And it also reminds us of his completed work of redemption. God finished his work and rested on the seventh day for creation. And Jesus finished his work of redemption and rested in the tomb on the seventh day. The Sabbath is first and foremost a reminder of the relationship God desires to have with us because we are blessed from being with God. We receive a blessing from being with Him. In fact, if you think about it, when Jesus gave the Beatitudes, He didn't say blessed will be the poor in spirit. He didn't say blessed will be the peacemakers. He didn't say blessed will be those who are persecuted. He said blessed what? Are. They're blessed now. Why? Not because of what they're going to have, but because of who they are in God. The Sabbath is first and foremost a reminder of our relationship with God, that we are blessed because He values us. The Sabbath is first and foremost a reminder of our relationship with God because He made it holy. He set it apart so that we would know that we belong to Him. He set it apart so that we would know we belong to Him, the Creator of the universe. That is awesome. There's another aspect of the Sabbath that I have read it before. I know I've seen it before. I know I understand the words that were there, but I never caught it before. It's Exodus chapter 31, verse 17. Exodus chapter 31, verse 17. It, the Sabbath, is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth. Now, this is quoting back to Genesis. And on the seventh day he rested and was what? Refreshed. He was refreshed. Genesis doesn't state that. Exodus does. How was God refreshed? Once again, was he so tired he needed refreshment? No. Had he lost so much energy from creating that he had to have his energy replaced? No. There is only one reason and one way I can think of that God was refreshed. Have you figured it out yet? What was it that refreshed God that first Sabbath day? Remember the illustration at the beginning? With the parent coming home dead tired, and all of a sudden, the little girl reach, reaches up and says, Daddy, Daddy, you're home. I love you. God, the creator of the universe, the almighty, holy, righteous God, was refreshed by being with Adam and Eve. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? God created the Sabbath day so that man could be nurtured in his relationship with God And he also created the Sabbath day so that God, this may sound almost blasphemous, but I can't get away from that word refreshed. He also created the Sabbath day so that God could be nourished and nurtured by man, you and me. How else are you going to explain that word refreshed? And he did it before sin entered the world. And if man needed to be nurtured and refreshed before sin entered the world, how much more after sin entered the world? We're going to take and kind of start a little bit over towards 
the next stained glass for a few moments. We'll cover it again next week. Not the same thing. You know the story of the fall. God placed Adam and Eve in the garden. There were two trees, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge and good and evil. God said, any tree's fine for you. Don't eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Adam and Eve did. And then they hid from God. And God came looking for them. And God said, why are you hiding? And they said, we were afraid. What made you afraid? And he said, well, we're, we're ashamed. We made some fig leaves to cover our nakedness. Who told you you were naked? And he said, well, we just knew. Did you eat from the fruit? And Adam says, well, yeah, but the wife you gave me. And Eve said, yes, but the serpent you, you made, and it's the serpent's fault and your fault. And the serpent just kind of stuck out its tongue and smiled. I added that part. In Des Cummings' book, The Original Love, he showed me something I had never, ever put together before. It blew me away. I, can, I have not stopped thinking about it all week long and its implications. The results of the fall are exactly opposite the rest and the blessing and the sanctification of the Sabbath. Let me show you what I mean. The results of the fall are exactly opposite. God said, where are you? He said, we're, we're afraid. That's the reaction. We're afraid. The result was, because you've sinned, you are now going to toil and work hard and labor. God said, why did you hide? We're, we're ashamed. That was the re reaction. What was the result? You will experience a curse. The earth will be cursed. You will have to work hard, and women will, will have pain and labor, and you will suffer so many aspects of the curse of sin, including death. They began to blame each other. That's the reaction. Blaming others for their sins and pointing out the sins in other people, blaming and judging and the result was separation from God and from one another. Keeping those things in mind, in this triangle, the top one may not be the easiest to see. It says rest. But I want you to see how the Sabbath and sin, how sin un tried to undo what Sabbath is all about. God said, I want you to experience rest, and instead, Adam and Eve experienced fear and toiling. God says, I want you to know that I honor and value you, and instead, they experience shame and curse. Sorry. God said, I want you to know that I have set you apart to belong to me, and instead, they, they experience blame and judgment and separation. Everything that God wanted to give mankind in giving them the Sabbath, the devil tried to take away with, from, him, from us when we sinned against God. Do you see that at all? I want you to listen very carefully 
for the next couple minutes. Reserve your judgment about what I'm going to say next in the next couple paragraphs till I'm finished, okay? Reserve your judgment till I'm finished. The Sabbath is usually presented by Seventh-day Adventists as a symbol of obedience and loyalty. I've already said that. And there's truth in that. But that is not all it is. The relationship must be primary in our experience of the Sabbath. Hebrews chapter 4 is clear. The author to Hebrews was writing to Jewish Christians who still were keeping the Sabbath and still were concerned about the right day and all the rules and regulations of the Sabbath. And he said there still remains a Sabbath rest for God's people because their focus was on right day, right way without relationship. When Sabbath is entered into as a matter of obedience and loyalty, it eventually becomes a matter of obligation and animosity. When the Sabbath is entered into as a matter of obligation and, and, and uh, loyalty, it, legalism will be the ultimate result. But when the Sabbath is entered into in a relationship with the loving Creator and Redeemer, and we experience His rest, His blessing, and His belonging, then true obedience and loyalty will automatically follow. Let me say it another way. When our relationship with God is expressed with shame, I'm sorry, when our relationship with God is expressed with fear and or toiling, either physically or spiritually, we haven't experienced the Sabbath even when we keep the right day in the right way. When our relationship with God is expressed with either shame or experienced with either shame and or the curse of sin by either focusing on sin or focusing on the sin in others, we haven't experienced the Sabbath even when we keep the right day in the right way. When our relationship with God is expressed by blaming or judging, and we become separated from God or from God's people, we haven't experienced the Sabbath even if we keep the right day in the right way. Now here's what I want you to hear the most. When our relationship with God is one of resting in his accomplished work of creation and redemption, when our relationship with God is based on knowing that we are valued and loved by him, that he has already blessed us as well as the day, and when our relationship with God is established on the security that we are set apart for and belong to him and to one another, and we worship on the right day in ways that are keeping with that relationship, then we truly experience the Sabbath, and it will indeed be a delight. Do you see the difference? Perhaps that's why Jesus made the statement in Mark chapter 2, verse 27. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man's benefit, not to be a burden. I'm going to make one more statement. You're going to think I've already said this. It's the last line I want you to catch. It's the last line I want you to listen for. When we rest in the finished work of our Creator and Redeemer on Sabbath, when we come to God knowing that He values us and has blessed us, and this day, the Sabbath, 
when we come into God's presence as his saints, set apart for him on the day he sanctified, we refresh God. That sends chills up and down my spine. Literally. Did you ever, ever, ever think about the fact that when you worship God out of your relationship with Him, you are refreshing the Almighty God of the universe? That's how much you mean to Him. That's why He gave us the Sabbath. Because more than anything else, he wants to be our God and he wants us to be his people. Let's pray. In fact, would you stand with me? I'm going to ask that we say the Lord's Prayer together as our benediction today. We'll just say it in the standard way and forgive us our debtors, okay? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.